Lovely to be here this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Emma. I've been part of the church for about three and a half years. Um, I'm a lecturer at the University of Liverpool. That's what I do for a job. Um, and I also look after students that do the medical degree there. So I'm, I have a sort of pastoral role in that. I'm going to talk a bit about that as part of this. Um, but um, I'm just going to read the passage that we've got. So we've got to the end of Acts 16. So if you turn there, um, and I'm going to do that last section, that's verse 25 to 40. So um, the heading in my Bible, and I'm going to read from the ESV, is the, Philipp the, the Philippian jailer converted. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So if you think back to what um, Keith brought last week, um, Paul and Silas had been flung in jail for uh, casting a demon out of a girl. People didn't like it, so they got stuck in jail. So, and they are now praying and singing hymns to God. Okay. Um, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bombs were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear as he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out saying and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now, come out now and go, into, go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens so they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city so they went out of prison and visit visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers they encouraged them and departed so that's the passage I was given and I started looking at this several weeks ago and praying and looking at it. And there's lots of logical things that you can draw out of this passage and look at. But as I started to write those things and look at those things, God was saying, no, that's not what I want you to bring. I want you to bring out a particular part. And it's a, really at the beginning. And it also fits with a lot of what else was going on. And as, as more people came and, and preached their sermons, I thought, yeah, this fits. This is where God is taking it. So... Right at the beginning it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, everyone's bombs were unfastened. And I think what God wants to talk about this morning, and wants us to think about this morning, is about freedom. We are Freedom Church, Freedom Church Chester and Freedom Church crew. What does that mean? What does it mean to be free in Christ? What does freedom mean? What are we set free from, and what are we set free for? 
So I'm going to talk about those things. So that means we're going to go into quite a lot of scripture that is not Acts 16, but I will bring it back to Acts 16. So it, it does go back eventually. Um, and I'm going to spend quite a bit of time in Galatians, in Galatians 5. And the first verse of Galatians 5, which is quite famous and talks about freedom. But I'm going to read the, first, the bottom part, the, the back end of um, Galatians 4 to start with which is talking about the, using um, Hagar and Sarah as an example um, of what it means to be under the law and what it means to be free. So in, in this, Paul is talking to the Galatian church who um, think that following Christ is all about following the law, which it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. So um, I'm just going to read this, and, and hopefully this will make sense. So from verse 21 of Galatians 4. Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of a slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of a free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two governments. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she, is in, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be, will be more than than those of one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the, with, with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then it goes on, and I, I felt that the... The first verse of um, chapter 5 fits with this bit better in some ways than it does with chapter 5. And this is the famous verse. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. So the yoke of slavery it's talking about is our sin, but it's also the, the having to live under the law, having to follow lots and lots of rules. That is not what um, freedom in Christ is about. It's about something else but what is it about so I thought well I'll go and look and see what Jesus said about this and Sharon helped me with this because she had been listening to a sermon by Tim Keller on this topic um, and she sent it to me and I went ding this is the right thing so quite quite a bit of what I'm about to say comes from this uh, Tim Keller sermon to give him due credit so this sermon was on another passage a slightly shorter passage which is John 8 31 to um, to to 31 to 38, um, the truth will set you free. So this is Jesus talking about um, what freedom truly means. So Jesus said to the, the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say we will become free? So they don't get it. Um, <clears throat> Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who com commits sin is a slave to sin. The sin does not remain in the house forever, 
The, oh, sorry, the slave does not re remain in the slave's for, for house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So what, Je what is Jesus talking about when he talks about this passage? And one of the things is we, we sometimes focus on what happens when we become a Christian. And we turn away from our sin, we give our lives to Jesus, and then we're a Christian. But actually, we have to grow into that. That's just the first step. It's a very important step, but it's just the first step. We need to grow into it. One of the analogies that Tim Keller brought in is it's like the planting of a seed. And that seed has lots and lots of potential in it. But if we're going to grow into a plant and grow into the fullness of everything he has for us, we've got to actually tap into those things that are there within us. And the, that experience is a bittersweet one for us. Because as we read our Bibles and we learn about Jesus and we learn about what he was like and how much he was God, so he was, he was able to exemplify in human form everything that God is, then it's great. We say, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then we look at ourselves and we go, but I'm rubbish and I can't do that. We feel so, so far from him and it feels so impossible. So how, how do we do that? And some of what we do, and some of the things, and I've been up here before and talked about things, and it's about studying the word, like Sharon was saying earlier, and prayer. And I've talked in the last uh, sermon that I did, or I think the one before last, about fellowship. But what Tim Keller was bringing to him, I think what, what God wants to bring to us, is it's about, another thing that's important is obedience. It's the simplest and the hardest of all the things we do. All the Christian stuff we do, all the reading of the Bible and all the prayer and all the fellowship and all, all the stuff of going to Christian conferences and doing Christian stuff doesn't help us unless we do what he says and he does what he commands. We need to read the Bible to know what he commands, but none of that is going to help us if we don't actually do it. Rob said last, the week before last that you know, if you don't feel like reading your Bible, the best thing to do is to read your Bible. If you don't feel like praying, the best thing to do is to pray, which sounds counterintuitive, but from personal experience, it, that is what you should do. Freedom comes when we are doing what we most deeply desire. And both the world and God would say that, say, kind of say the same thing. The world kind of says that it's about doing what you want. That freedom is freedom to be who you are and do what you want. But actually what the Bible says is that can only happen truly and completely when you're dependent on God. We think of, free, of freedom as being independence. The right to do what I want, when I want, what I want. The, way, the freedom to express myself how I want. When actually the biblical idea of freedom is one of dependence on God. It's about submission to what he wants to do and knowing that. And being able to do that, that method of obedience is obeying his word. So we need to know what his word says. And in that bit, and it, at the beginning of that passage, when it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, that word abide is a very special word, Greek word, that is translate, trans, I've forgotten what the actual word is, but it's, it's important to understand that that word is and importance. It means to stay put. To abide in the word means to settle down and live there. 
So it's not just kind of reading the Bible in the morning, sort of like, as I am guilty of doing it, you've got your passage that you read in the morning, you read it, and you, you, you read it, okay, right, read it, right, right. then you go around the door, and then you come back, and I tend to read a little bit in the evening as well, and I read another bit, and I do that. That's okay, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to think about what that passage is about and live it. Bring it into your life and think about how that actually can you know, live out of it. So it's settle it. So this, I've found it really powerful, this idea of actually dwelling and living in that. Okay. So, but I wanted to kind of think more deeply about what we're called for freedom into even more. So again, going back to Galatians 5 and going a bit further down into verse 13, it says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. And a way of thinking about what happened to Jesus on the cross is the nails in his hands are a bit like keys that unlock the shackles that we were held in. The shackles of sin and rebellion, because in essence that's what sin is. It's doing our own thing and ignoring what God's telling us to do. And selfishness. And as I've, I've talked about before, our idea of freedom... So it's more appealing than the the reality is. So freedom is not about following our own dreams and desires. That's kind of what the world tells us. When people talk about being free, they think about being able to do exactly what they want when they want. That's not what um, God is calling us to. It's about the freedom to love and to serve others. So it seems he set us free to serve, which seems very odd to our sinful carnal natures. But freedom and service in the kingdom of God very much belong together. Jesus is God. So nobody, there's never been a human being that was freer than Jesus was. And yet what did he do with his freedom? He took the form of a servant, being of the likeness of men. So he took the form of a servant. So he could have done anything. That's what he chose to do. He said to the disciples, I am among you as one who served. And he wrapped a towel around his waist and he bent to the disciples' feet and he served them until the end of his earthly life. And he goes on serving us now. The story of Jesus' earthly life was one of suffering and serving and then ultimately of saving. And he was the freest man who ever lived. True freedom is not found in pleasing others. It is found in being like him. And I found um, via an, an article on Desiring God, I found the, the writings of a preacher called B.B. B. Warfield, who was around and about in the early 50s. And this is from a book he wrote called The Person and Work of Christ. I really like this. This kind of anchored the whole thing. So self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world. So that's talking about Mary's sacrifice in submission to God for him to be born. And self-sacrifice will lead us us lot, his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men and women. He's using quite archaic language, so he refers to men, he means humans. Whenever men suffer, we will be there to comfort. Wherever men strive, we will be there to help. Wherever men fail, we will be there to uplift. Wherever men succeed, we will be there to rejoice. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times, and our fellow man, 
but it means absorption in them. It means that we should not live one life, but we should live a thousand lives, bounding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filaments of so loving a sympathy that their lives become ours. So as we become more and more Christ-like, it becomes more and more natural to serve in the way that he served. It becomes much easier. Okay? Life is not about reaching our own potential, but it's about helping others reach theirs. When we let go of our own self-absorption, we lift our eyes, as Sharon said, um, and, we, and, we, um, and in doing that, we see others in his light. We no longer chase after our own dreams, but we, filled with the Spirit, are poured out for others and their dreams. Notice in our text this morning that the jailer, immediately after his conversion, is moved to serve Paul and Silas. He tends their wounds, he invites them to come into his home, and he feeds them, and he did so with joy. And that's what it should look like for us. But it's not easy. Most days, I don't want to serve other people. I, I said on one of the, the, the last times that I preached, I think when the guys from crew were here, that you know, I have a welcome mat, but I don't mean it. Um, it's, you know, I don't like, I don't, to a certain extent, I, you know, I don't really like other people. Um, <laughs> there are days when I'm too lazy and I find people annoying and I don't want to talk to them. So what do we do when we prefer to serve our own needs and comfort? Where does that reluctance come from? Why do I behave like that? And that is the sinful nature that I've not yet put to death. That's telling me the lie that the service that, that God is calling me to is slavery. The devil tells us that that is the slavery. Doing things for other people is bad. Because our culture tells us that, that free, freedom is felt in self-actualization, not the actualization of others. But we need to remember that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We trust that the, the, the Christ who, who set us free from our sin is zealous to take us into deeper levels of freedom, not in spite of or around the task of service that he gives us, but through them. And I've, what came into mind at that point, and we haven't sung it today, but um, there's the, the song, Hillsong song, Oceans, and I love the bridge in that because that resonates very much with this, which says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. That's what this is talking about. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander so that my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my saviour. And notice that the way in which we accomplish this, the power behind that, that makes that doable, is the spirit. It's the spirit that God has given us. And again, it says in Galatians 5, in verse 3, does he who supplies the spirit to you work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So it's the spirit that allows us to do that. And then if we go into later in Galatians 5, in, in verse 16, and again, I'm going to now read a big chunk again. Um, but I say, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So these are opposed to one another, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. It's really important that we grasp and understand that that interplay is happening doesn't mean you're not Christian. It's normal. It's, it's part of the process of being sanctified. And it goes on. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like they, these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have sank, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So it's through walking in the Spirit that we let go of those carnal things and we lay hold of and show that fruit. And then God sort of led me a bit into Philippians and a bit of what he had, because he has quite a lot to say. In, in, um, it, you know, Paul writes a lot in the early part of Philippians about Christ's example of humility. And again, we read the first bit of chapter two. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, because I want you to kind of come in towards the end now, I want you to feel encouraged that this is, this is doable. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit and any affection and empathy, complete my joy, Paul is saying to the people he's writing to, by being of the same mind as him, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, than ourselves, than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not quite count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under, under, the, under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we, we, we have that encouragement this morning that to follow Jesus is to be obedient to him. And what has he called us into? What freedom does he have? It is to serve and serve others, those around us and those in the world. The world is a chaotic place. There are lots of competing interests. I see it among the students that I look after and teach. They're looking for something, some anchor, some safety. And a lot of what came out in the, in the prayers this morning before the service. He is our anchor and our safety. And having him as our anchor in our safety, we can extend that to other people. I think that's all I have to say. So, amen.